Um, I have a word that I would like to share with you today, and so why don't you get your Bibles? And someone asked me, like, are you gonna are you gonna preach this weekend? And I'm like, do you even know me? <laughs> like, if you get more than two people in a room, I'm gonna preach. Obviously, I'm gonna preach. Do you want to hear a word from God for us on our birthday? Um, absolutely. All right, turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, and we're going to take off there in verse 2 together. It says, um, it says, it was time for supper. Time out, time out. This is why I love Jesus, because he was a southerner. He did not have dinner. He had supper. We know there was bread, and we know there was wine. I'm going to wager there was cornbread and sweet tea. Come on, where are my southern people at? And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't the cornbread that's not sweet because that's, I don't know what that is. I don't even understand. Have, have you ever been, have you ever experienced the disappointment of, of taking some cornbread and you are ready because you know it's supposed to be sweet, right? And you bite in. I remember this happened to me one time and you bite in and you're like, what is this? It's like manna. That's what it, I don't even know what it is anymore. It's just... Jesus was a southern. He was having him some supper. It says, and the devil had already prompted Judas. Time out. I'm just going to preach today. I don't know how long we're going to be here. Um, but I'm going to get all of it I can get. I only get to do it one time, right? So I got to give you three times worth in one time. But, but do you see here how, how the devil was moving to bring about the plan of God in the earth? That on his best day, says Judas, prompted by the devil. On his best day, the devil works for God to bring about the purposes of God. I'm just saying, if you've seen a Judas or a devil in your life anytime lately, you can know this. God's pulling some strings to bring you into your destiny. This <laughs> had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew. Now this is a key verse. We're going to spend all of our time on verse number three. Jesus knew some things. He knew the father had given him authority over everything. One version said that he had placed all things in his hands. Jesus knew the father put all things in his hands. He knew he had come from God and he knew he would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his rope, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water in a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. He knew something. He knew something that I want you to know. Um, I called this message, and this is really, I just felt like this was the word for you. Like, you need to write this down. If you don't get anything else, write this down. You have what it takes. I know you don't believe it yet, but I'm going to explain it but you have what it takes to change the world. You have, do you hear what I'm saying? You ha I'm gonna say it till you believe it. You have what it takes. You have what it takes. You are more than enough, right? Can we pray together? God, we are so grateful in this moment for your faithfulness, for your love, for bringing us together. God, we are family. God, we thank you for 10 years 
God, 10 years kind of marks a, a full rotation, a full cycle, a full season. God, we thank you for this first season, this first leg of the journey. God, all that you've taught us, all that you've shown us. God, those you have added to us. And God, the way you have changed all of our hearts and lives as we have gathered together in your presence. God, we are grateful. God, we look forward to this next 10 years. And God, we believe what you say to us today, that you have called us, you have purposed us, you have destined us. And God, we, we pray that you would anoint us with the power of the Holy Spirit so that, God, we would step into this next season together. God, we have what it takes. We have what it takes. Now, in these moments, Holy Spirit, form words, form words that can come from just this clay vessel. And God, let those words bring life and health. God, let those words transform and change so that, God, when we leave this place, we will know that we can never be the same, that we have what it takes. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is, uh, this is, this is the, the Last Supper. John 13 starts the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus is with his closest followers, and he is in the upper room. I had someone ask me one time, Pastor, why do they call it the upper room? And I said, because um, it is above the lower room. <laughs> sometimes the Bible is so vast and some deep, so deep, and, and sometimes it just means what it says. The upper room was definitely above the lower room, and he had gathered with his followers and he has a conversation with them. And I love the narrative here that John gives us. It, it, it's, it, John is divinely inspired because he's not necessarily recording action. He's observing something spiritually. He tells us something that Jesus knew. Now, perhaps Jesus had a conversation, but it doesn't quote him as saying this. John is saying that Jesus knowing knowing. Here it is, knowing. And what did he know? He knew that God had put all things in his hand, that he'd given him authority. He knew that he had come from God and he knew that he was returning to God. And from that knowledge, from that position, from that understanding, Jesus stepped into the greatest hour of his life, into the greatest season of his purpose. It was something he knew. He knew and from that stepped in. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, if, if we knew what he knew, then we could also step into the next season of what God has called us to. This is a turning point. From this moment, Jesus is gonna wash feet. He's gonna have what we would know as the Lord's Supper or our communion. He's gonna explain so many things about fruitfulness and about the Holy Spirit and, and walking with God and purpose and calling and all these things, this incredible conversation. And then at the conclusion of that, he's gonna to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, he's gonna pray, he's gonna be arrested, he's gonna be put on trial, he's gonna be crucified and he's gonna rise again. This is an incredible moment, if you will. It's a defining moment. I feel like like for today, for us, this is a defining moment. It's an incredible thing. And I, I want you to know what he knew. I want you to know it about you because we are in him. And as he was in this world, so are we. And what he knew, we can know because we have the mind of Christ. And so write these down. I don't really have points. I have three words. 
three words. Write these down. Write the first one down. The first word you could write down is purpose. Purpose. It says that he knew he had come from God. That's what I want you to know, is that you had come, you have come from God. You are not here because biology. You are not here because two people fell in love. You are not here because of a one-night stand. However you got here, you need to understand that you came from God. This tells me three things. Number one, it tells me who I am. Number two, it tells me whose I am. And number three, it tells me why I am. That the fact that I have come not, not by accident, not by happenstance, not just by mother nature, not by a stork or something crazy, um, but I came, the Bible says I was knit together in my mother's womb, that he formed all of my parts just like he formed, that, that I am here, listen to me, by divine appointment. I'm here on purpose. Are you with me? It, it tells me who I am. I love what John says in 1 John 5, 4. He says, whatever is born of God. Now see, you were born of man, right? But you were born of God. Has anybody been born of God? You have come to faith in him. You have born, that tells me where you came from. It tells me who you are, that, that you came with an identity and that identity does not come from this world. That identity does not come from your birth circumstances or even your birth parents or anything. You've, your identity doesn't come from your greatest mistakes. Your identity doesn't come from what you did last summer, what you did last night, what you did last week. Your identity doesn't come from what they said or what they didn't say, what they gave you or what they didn't give you. Your identity, you have been born of God. Your identity comes from him. And I love what John says, and whatever is born of God. Now, before you're born of God, there's a question mark on what's going to happen. But after you're born of God, there's no question. It's all been, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You were born to win. You were born to take over the world. You were born of God. Your identity comes from him. I tell you, I, I wish that for all of us, we would, we would, we would if establish in our own minds a discipline to only receive identity from him and his word and from nothing else. To realize that, it is, that, that he is our origin and he is our father and to realize that we are born from him. It tells us who you are. You're a son, not a slave. You've been adopted. You're not an orphan that he breathed his life, he, he gave you identity. It, it tells me who I am, but it also tells me whose I am. It tells me whose I am. Galatians 4, 7 says that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. So get this, you are now because of purpose. God put you here now because of purpose. Your identity comes from him. But check this out. God didn't put you here empty-handed. Do you see that? You're a son and an heir. 
You see, in, in our culture, it's a little different than the kingdom. In our culture, you receive an inheritance when your father passes away. But in the kingdom, your father is from everlasting to everlasting. So in the kingdom, you receive an inheritance when you are born into the family. So the moment that you are here and you step into your identity and purpose, God fills your hands up with some things. He has given us all things that pertain to life and God, he has given us how many things? All that God has given you everything you need to do, everything he's asked you to do. You have all things that pertain to life. So God, it tells you who you are, but it tells you whose you are. I have a father. I have a father who is eternal. I have a father who is good. I have a father who is rich. He is loaded. I have a father who is peace. I have a father who is grace. I have a father who is healing. It tells me whose I am. And then, it, and then it tells me why. Why? So there's like identity. There's capacity. I have some stuff, right? But then there's destiny. Why? Why I am. Ephesians 2.10 says this. It says, we are his workmanship. Some versions say masterpiece. I've decided some days I look like a Picasso, but I'm still a masterpiece. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Look at this for good works that he prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. Do you see that? Good works that he prepared beforehand so that you could walk in them. You know what I love about God? God doesn't show up at the hospital with the father, with the, with the son and the Holy spirit. When someone is born, like, let's say when I was born, the moment I'm born, God didn't step back and say, Oh, what are we going to do with him? And the son said, I don't know. He just arrived. Really? I didn't see that coming. Hmm. It's a Marty. Is he good at anything? No, not really. He can talk. Let's make him a preacher. That's not exactly, it's not exactly how that works out. You see, um, you were created on purpose for purpose. In, in other words, God looks back and he says, what do I want to accomplish in this season? See, do, you, do you understand that, that you were created intentionally? That, that God, Genesis, starts out by defining God as the first thing we really come to know about him is, says in the beginning, God created. The first thing we learn about God is that God is an, a creator. And creators never create without intentionality. They never create without purpose. Uh, th that, that is what drives invention. That is what drives creativity. And, and the, the one thing that everything has in common that's ever been created is the fact that if it was created, it was created for a purpose, for a reason, right? That, that's why the plunger was created. Because someone went to a dinner party and they went to the bathroom and they flushed and the glory didn't go down. And when the water starts arising, the anxiety starts arising because you don't wanna be that guest. Excuse me. Yeah, the steak was good. You got a plunger. 
You don't want to be there. And so that happened to someone, and they said, never going to happen again. We're going to make a plunger so that if things don't go down, we can assist with it. Everything that has ever been made has been made on purpose, and you were made, and you were made on purpose. God made you on purpose. And not only did God make you on purpose, God made you for a purpose in that God doesn't wait until you're born. See, you are actually all here on assignment, not accident. That God actually is outside of time, looking inside of time, and he's looking at what he wants to accomplish. And the best way to accomplish his, his purpose is through the expression of his people. And so he looks and he, find that he found this timeline and he said, you know what? This is what I need this person to do. And this is when I need this person to do it. And God sent you here on assignment, on purpose, for purpose. You're his. You're not empty-handed. You're here for a purpose. It's your, it's your destiny. You have identity capacity, but it's, it's your destiny. And, and I thought about our church, and I thought about how our church got started. And, and we didn't start Pathway because I thought Longview needed another church. We got a lot of great churches. We got churches everywhere. And in fact, I'll just be really honest with you. I, I argued with God for a long time about starting a church here. I, you know, I had all my, all my reasons, really. Um, I said, you know, number one, God, I'm kind of from here. And, you know, people know me. And for that reason, they won't come um, because they know me. Whether they're going to think they, they know me or they, you know, whatever. Or they've heard something about me, you know, a prophet. I, I would even quote, have you ever quoted scripture to God when you didn't want to do what he was telling you to do? Because I did. I said, Lord, you know, a prophet is not without honor in his own town and his own country. Lord, you'll have to call me somewhere else where <laughs> if they don't know me, they'll love me. Amen. And so I would quote, quote scripture to God to explain why. I had a lot of reasons. Churches everywhere, the Bible Belt, everybody's saved. Everybody went to church with grandma and them, mom and them. But, but yet I felt like there was this purpose. There was something God wanted to do. It's not that the other churches couldn't do it. It's that they weren't called to do it. See, we missed that. We're not in competition with other churches because they're, they're, they're in their own calling. They're in their own destiny. They're in their own purpose. And I just felt like God had a purpose. And, and so I didn't start Pathway because I felt like um, Longview needed another church. I started Pathway because I thought Longview had something to give to the world. I thought you had something to give to the world. I thought that inside of you was the purpose of God. And that if I could convince you of that, that if we could connect people to purpose, if I could convince you of your purpose, then we could actually use what God has put in you to change the world. That's what I believe then. That's still, I still believe the potential to change the world is in this room right now. And it's not on this platform. It's in the seats. It's in your seat. It's where you're sitting. That there, there is purpose in you. And I felt like God had a, had a purpose for this church that, that we could change the world. And I thought about the identity of our church and I thought about 10 years. And, and of course I preached a lot of messages in 10 years, y'all. 
I don't know if you realize that. I started looking at all the messages that I preached in 10 years, and I'm like, I should know something. By, I should know more by now. <laughs> but I thought about someone, and I thought, you know, um, Pathway was always this, this foundation that God gave us very much in the beginning, this foundation of grace, that you have a seat at the table that you don't have to achieve, you only have to receive. That, that your, your position is not tied to your performance. That our position being seated at the right hand of God is actually tied to the performance of Jesus, not us. So on our worst day, we still have the same relationship with God as we did on our best day. Right on our worst day, we can come boldly into the, th we have this, this, this grace. And, and then there was this, this, this foundation, if you will, or identity of acceptance that we say, hey, we wanna have a church in the middle of the Bible Belt we want to have a church where people who are not of faith, who do not believe in Jesus, would still want to come hang out. Did y'all hear what I said? Did it scare you or something? Like, not new information here. No, no, no. We said, we said un unfortunately, too many times people, because of their experience with believers, they won't come to a church. But what if we had a church where they felt comfortable? and accepted and loved where they were without asking them to look like us, act like us, dress like us, talk like us, believe like us, to belong to us. And we said, hey, we wanna be a place, this is what Jesus did so well, he offered unconditional acceptance. I understand there's a difference, and let me help you, because if you're like, oh my God, there is a difference between unconditional acceptance and unconditional approval. I just want us to focus on unconditional acceptance. I want us to accept people because that's what Jesus would do, to love people because that's what Jesus would do. To serve. Do you understand that sinners love to hang out with him in the Bible? I would love to have a church where people who didn't even believe in Jesus just said, you know, I like to hang out there. Everybody's happy. The coffee's good. They're so friendly. I don't know if I'm all up on this faith thing like they are, but I like the music. It's nice. It, I leave encouraged when I leave, you know. It's a place of acceptance, place of, of faith. Um, I feel this one so strongly more and more that, that honestly, think about this. If you're a believer in Christ, you should live in a tension of always believing God for something that seems impossible. That, that we are people of faith and that we are called to believe God for the impossible. What, with God, there is no impossibility. All things are possible. There is only possibility with God, but there are things that seem impossible to us. Just like building a building that's counting land and everything, furnishings over like $9 million, building a building debt-free, in Longview, Texas, over $9 million, a startup church that's 10 years old, that seems stupid to even say. But we should be living, believing God for the impossible. I want to encourage you, if you are not believing God for something impossible right now, let me help you with this. You are living below your destiny. And I want you to stretch your faith. 
And I want us to have a church where we're always believing God. It's just like the things we talked about we're going to do in the next 10 years. Almost sounds, I always want to be believing God for, for what's impossible. We always want to be a generous church, generosity. I remember the offering we used to start this church actually um, came from my, my parents who are actually here today. Mom and dad are, are here with us. And, and um, we, we had been, you know, praying uh, Julie and I and our family have been praying about um, starting the church and, and we were just getting started and, and my grandmother actually passed away. My, my grandfather, my grandmother, that'd be my mom's parents, Pop and Granny, were just so, they were like my favorite people in the world and I kind of preached like Pop a lot of times. And um, anyways, um, uh, they passed away and my mom received a small inheritance and, and so she gave a, a gift of $7,000 to actually start the church. And somebody said, how much money do you need to start a church? I said, as much as you have. <laughs> Anyways, we took out of that $7,000 before we even started, we took $700 and gave it away. And it's still what we do to this day that we want to be a generous church. We want to be a church that serves because we believe you never look more like Jesus than when you give. I'm sorry, you never look more like God than when you give and you never look more like Jesus than when you serve. We believe save people, come on, serve people. That's exactly right. Save people, serve people. This, this, is, this is our identity, this is what we're, we're called to. And, 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 and I believe that, that, the, that the sum of the parts, or the sum of the whole is always greater than the sum of the parts. That in this room right now, we have the potential, we have purpose, we have destiny, we have capacity, we have identity, and, and we have this purpose in us that can impact the world right now. I believe that. I believe God's called us to it. I believe we've got what it takes because we've got purpose. Here's the second thing, write this down. We've got potential. You have purpose, but you know what? You have potential. It says this, knowing Jesus knew that the father had given all things, they'd given him authority over all things, authority over everything. God didn't send him here empty handed, but but he had this potential. You know what I thought about when I read that verse? I thought, that's interesting. God had given him authority over everything. But you couldn't see it. Did you ever think about that? His hands were full, but you couldn't see it. And I thought, that's what potential is like. Potential's there, but you don't see it until you do something with it. Like he had authority over all things. He had the authority to cast out demons, to heal the blind. He had authority to help the lame walk again. He had authority to save and deliver and set free. But you only saw it when he did something with it. His hands were full, but you could only see it when he would do something with it. And I just thought, you know what, Pathway, can I just tell you something? I think our hands are full. Oh, you didn't get it. I'm going to try these guys over here. You know what, Pathway? I think our hands are full. You see how they did that? We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. Never mind. But I really feel like God has put in us what we need 
to do whatever he's called us to do. That, that our hands are full. He had put all things in his hands. All authority over everything was in his hands. See, see, your potential comes from God, but it is placed inside of you. You have to understand that. That God didn't put you here empty-handed. He put something inside of you. Um, 2 Timothy 1.9 says this. It says, who saved us, look at this, and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. He saved us and he called us. Please help me see, see this. Do you see two things there? He saved us and he... I sometimes think we miss the second one. Oh, God saved us. He's so good. He saved me. What you doing now? Just sitting on my blessed assurance, waiting on the bus ride to heaven. I'm saved. Look at somebody and say, you're saved for something. You may be saved from something, but really God doesn't save you from. He saves you too. You're saved for something. Not just saved from, saved too. He, he saved you and then he called you. And, and the calling, do you understand what a calling is? I mean, I think we know how to call. Like, you know, you hit call. You're trying to get a hold of somebody, right? But you understand why he calls you? Because the calling is what places the demand on the potential that he's already placed inside of you. Do you see that? That God's in the business of saving you to something and then calling something out of you that he put deep inside of you. Your potential is just a seed inside of you and God sees it and he knows it so God calls you because he's trying to get the greatness that he deposited in you to come out of you and so he calls you to something that is bigger than you so you'll have to depend on him and trust what he's put inside of you and as you step into that God brings it out of you do you know the problem our potential our potential is in seed form it's in seed form do you know what's crazy everything that you know as Pathway Church today was in me when I was 19 years old and said I think I'm going to plant a church one day I had that thought yesterday. It freaked me out. <laughs> that, that, that at 19 years old, I remember saying, I think I'm called to plant a church. Now, we were in a denomination that didn't really do a lot of church planning. You mostly went and took over a church. And I remember being 19 years old, and, and, and I, remember, I remember thinking to myself, I'm just called to plant a church. That's what, that's what God's put in my heart. This is one of the reasons why Julie didn't want to marry me, because she's like, I want to be a missionary. I don't want to marry a pastor. I want to be stuck here. I want to travel the world, preach the gospel to the, to the, to the pygmies down in New Guinea. You know what I mean? But I convinced her. I did. I prayed that off of her. No, I told her, I'll preach, I'll let you travel, you do whatever you want to do. Anyways, but, but I realized that, that it was in there in seed form. And you know what I think the problem is? That we as people are better 
at judging trees than we are trusting seeds. In the truth, I mean, we, we look at a tree and we say, oh man, look at that, that's a beautiful tree. It doesn't take a person of vision to see a tree that's already grown. It takes a person of vision to see the tree that's in the seed that's yet to be sown. It doesn't take any vision for you to see a, a tree that's already grown. It takes vision to see a tree and a seed that's yet to be sown. Man, I feel like I could wrap that almost. That just came to me. But I think, I think we're better, and this is the problem. We're better at judging trees and comparing trees than trusting seed. And, and we look in the mirror and we see a, a tree and God sees a seed. And we look in the mirror and we say, no, I don't have it. I don't have what it takes. I'm not enough. I'm not as gifted as them. I can't do what they do. I don't know what they know. And the whole time there's a seed in there of greatness, of destiny, of purpose. That The potential is inside of you. But you're so busy looking at the tree that you don't see the seed. Think about Gideon. You remember Gideon? Israel needed a deliverer. This guy named Gideon is hiding, literally hiding. An angel comes down and says, Gideon, mighty man of valor. And Gideon does it. Like, bro, I don't know who beamed you down, but they missed the coordinates by a little bit. I ain't no mighty man of valor here. But yet God used Gideon to, to change the world, to deliver Israel. What about Jacob? I mean, Jacob was, Jacob was known as, as like a con artist, like a, like a shyster, if you will. He was a, he was a smooth criminal. And are you okay? Anyways, um, this is what happens when you have ADD. But but think about this. He was and 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 God comes to him, and he says, "Tell me who you are." And he says, "I'm Jacob." And God said, "No, that's just who you thought you were. You've been looking at it, what you thought was a tree, and you've missed the seed." that I placed in you. You're not Jacob, you're Israel. You're a great nation. You're a nation that's just waiting to happen. You know, that's what I feel about Pathway. We're just a nation that is waiting to happen. What about, what about Moses, right? Like Moses is just wandering around in the desert, in the wilderness, and he comes to a bush that, that is, that's on fire. <laughs> this bush is on fire. <laughs> Thank you, Sister Alicia. Anyways, he's, this bush is on fire and it's burning, but it's not burning, but it's burning, but it's not burning, but it's burning. And, and then all of a sudden the bush tells him to take his shoes off. And, and, and then God from the bush is talking to him and says, I want to send you to basically the president of the world here, that the highest ranking official, that Egypt was a powerful, powerful nation. I want you to go to their president and explain they got to let all my people go. And Moses said, but, 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 but I, 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 I don't talk, 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 talk so well. And God said, I don't want you to judge the tree. I want you to trust 
the seed. What about David? Little ruddy shepherd boy out there like to sing to sheep. And Samuel, God sends Samuel to anoint a king to the house of Jesse. And they come in and the, and, and, and the first guy comes in, you know, if you will. And, and he looks like the rock. And it's like, surely this is the king, right? This has got to be the rock, right? And God's like, no. And they go through all. And then they finally said, is there anybody else? And Jesse said, well, I got this little boy out here. Likes to sing to the sheep. Kind of weird. <laughs> we'll get him. And he comes in. And Samuel says, or God says to Samuel, arise and anoint him. This is my king. And I'm telling you what I feel in my heart is God's getting ready to call some people in from the pasture. That youth, oh, no, no, no. That literally, I feel this, that there, there are kings and there are priests and there are pastors and there are people in this room that you thought you were set out to pasture and no one knew where you were and no one knew who you were, but God knows whose you are. He knows where you are. He knows what he put in you. And I just feel like God's getting ready to call some people in. That God's calling them up to the majors, if you will. He's like, no, I'm about to bring them into their purpose and bring them into, I'm bringing them into a fresh anointing of my spirit for what I've called them to. That there is a potential inside of them. Your potential is a seed, but it says unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, then it doesn't produce. That, that your potential, see, your potential is kind of like potential energy. Potential energy is just that. It's, it's something that has potential to produce energy. It has uh, a potential to, to create movement. Kinetic energy, though, is when potential energy starts moving. And we all have this potential, this, this seed in us. But until we do something with it, until we step out and join a serve team, until we step out and try an outreach, until we go through entry point for the worship team, until we step out and bring someone, until we sign up in Pathway Kids and say, I want to preach the gospel to some of the most precious saints that exist, then it's just potential. And I got thinking about this, and, and, and when, when, when John Bevere was here, Last week, um, he says, I'm totally about to, if you're wondering, yeah, I'm totally about to rip him off. I'm totally about to take his content and preach it and try to do it better than him. It's okay, he won't care. But, but he was talking about the, 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 the parable of the talents. And he was talking about how, how the Lord was about to go away. And so he called his servants in and he gave one, what did he get? Five, one, two, and one, one, Right? This is why you don't compare yourselves because everybody has different stuff because you were called to do different things. God's not asking you to be faithful with what he gave to someone else. And so many times, so many times we discredit what God can do in our life because we're judging a tree we see over here and say, well, I don't have that. No, you don't have that, but you're not supposed to. You've got what you got. Can I tell you, you've got what it takes. You have whatever you need to do, what God has called you to do. It's in you. And too many times we compare giftings and callings, and here's the problem, when, we, when our gifting looks like someone else, we will make the mistake of thinking our calling should look the same too. And then we will step into the wrong calling, but because we're gifted, we will actually prostitute calling for affirmation 
because we were so busy comparing and not busy praying that we thought because my gift looks like you, I'm supposed to try to do like you. And that's not what God, that's not what God's called us to do. He's put something in us. And so, so here we have four talents or, or five talents and two talents and one talent. And, and it, they go away and the one, we you know the story, the one who had five turned it into 10 and the one who had two turned it into four. And to both of them, look at this, the, the servant who we're going to say is God said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. So, so what did they define faithful as multiplication? That being faithful was about multiplying the seed that you had. It was about doing something with what you had been given. That was considered faithful. Please understand that was not considered going above and beyond. That was not considered extra. That was just considered faithful. Because then to the one who says this, who says, you know what? You know what? I, I was a little worried that you might get upset, that I might lose it. So I, I buried it in the ground like it's a time cancel or a turnip. I don't know. Buried it in the ground, and now I'm going to return it to you. And the master said, you are wicked and lazy. So please note, maintaining what you have equals wicked and lazy. Multiplying what you have equals faithful. Are you with me? God is not wanting us to live in the fear of uncertainty. He is wanting us to step out in the potential of our purpose. He's wanting us to multiply. Now, now when John said all that, that was John. But when John said that, I thought, well, Lord, how do you multiply? How do you multiply? Because I'm a why person. That's why, that's what makes me good at what I do. I ask questions. That's how I learn the Bible. I, ask, I, I don't know what's going on. God, why is this? I don't understand this. Why is this going on? You can ask, man, as soon as I learned the word why, when I was like one and a half years old, it became my word of the day. Sesame Street was always sponsored by the word why. <laughs> but I said, God, how do, how, do you, how do you multiply? And he took me to the story where Jesus feeds the 5,000 with the little boy's Long John Silver's value meal. Because he had five hush puppies and two fish fillets. How many love hush puppies? You thank God for hush puppies. Yeah, I have a little girl who doesn't like hush puppies, but I am praying for her. But, but he had five hush puppies and two fish fillets. And now think about this. And I said, God, how do you multiply? And I went to this boy and I thought that what he had wasn't enough. But at the same time, what he had was more than enough. It just depends on how you see it. Because we would all look and say, just like the disciples, because Jesus was in the middle of a good sermon. Good sermon. He was preaching. But Peter was hungry. And Peter said, Lord, you're doing good. I mean, he came up and interrupted. Lord, you're doing good. Some of your best stuff. Really, you should put this in a book. But the people are hungry, Lord. And Jesus says, just, well, give them something to eat. And then goes back to preaching. Now Peter's got to have a staff meeting with the disciples to say, hey, he, he's not going to stop. He wants us to give, well, we ain't got nothing. Well, let's go, let's prove we don't have enough. I wonder how many people have been trying to prove to God your whole life you don't have enough. When God's always thought you had more than enough. 
And so they come back and they said, you know, Jesus, all we, we got five. And if you're from the South, you understand this. If you're from East Texas, probably, uh, or Mississippi in there, you're going to understand. They say we have five Husham puppies. Husham puppies. Five Husham puppies and two fish. And, and Jesus is like, great, have them sit down. Did he not hear what I said? And I said, Lord, how do you, how do you, how do you multiply? And he said, the first thing you have to do is you have to be willing to surrender what you have. Some people can't multiply because they're still hanging on to what little they have. And they're hanging on to the seed. And they're scared if they let go of the seed, they won't have anything. And so they're hanging on to the influence that they have. They're hanging on to the position that they have. They're hanging on to the baggage that they have. And because they won't surrender what they have to him, he can't multiply it. And so the first thing you have to do is if you want God to multiply is that you have to, you have to surrender, right? See, can I just tell you this, what the Holy Spirit, it, surrender is always unlocked. Surrender is what unlocks the seed of your potential. And then I said, well, then what was next? He said, well, here's why you have to surrender it. Because in your hands, it's not enough. But in Jesus' hands, it's more than enough. And so you have to surrender it to get it in Jesus' hands. Right? And so when you surrender it, then it can be in Jesus' hands, and then Jesus is going to bless it. Oh, hear what I'm saying? <laughs> when you put it in his hands, he's going to bless it. But that's not the end of the story. Because then he gave it back to them and said, pass it out. Now here's what we miss. We think Jesus blessed it and started breaking off the pieces. That's not what it says. He blessed it and then handed them back the five hush puppies and the two fish fillets and said, go ahead and feed them. And the multiplication happened when they distributed what they had surrendered, which he had blessed. And then when they started giving it out, it became more than, it wasn't enough. But when they put it in his hands, it was blessed. And when they started, then it was more than enough. And I think, I think kind of happened like this. I think Peter's looking at this, hush puppy, this bread, and he's looking at 5,000 people. Next. And then after a while, he started noticing it's, it's still there. So he started breaking bigger chunks and bigger chunks and bigger chunks. But that's how we, we are called to multiply. You are called to multiply. How do you multiply? Well, number one, you got to set that as the benchmark that, that, that God has put something in me that he wants to multiply over and over again. And then number two, you got to surrender it so he can bless it, so you can distribute it because the miracle did not happen in Jesus' hands. The miracle happens in our hands. Here's what I'm saying. Your potential won't come out till you step out. All right, just write that down. You're like, why didn't you say that first? Because I want you to hear all the other stuff. And here's the third thing. Promise. Purpose, potential, promise. Jesus knew that, that the Father put everything in his hands, giving him authority over everything. He knew that he had come from God. 
And then he knew he was going back to God. He had a finish line. Jeremiah 29, 11, old school King James. It says it this way. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of peace and not an evil. To give you, look at this, an expected end. If God puts you here on purpose, with potential, he has given you promise. And that promise is what takes you to your finish line. That God, you're not just aimlessly running through life. I mean, you can be. Paul said we can beat the air or we can strike with precision. But God brings us to this place of, of being more precise, being more calculated. Why? Because the more I understand my purpose and the more I understand my potential, then I realize my purpose and my potential are aimed at something, and that is his promise. And his promise to me, he has given me, right? And he's given me that promise as, as, as a calling and as a track to run on. And so he's promised it and then wants me to move towards it. And as we understand I've got purpose and potential and promise, then it starts aligning, if you will, our steps and movements so that we step into the fullness of what God put us here for. That all of us, listen to me, all of us are people of promise. You should live with God. You should live from one promise to the next. You should live on purpose with potential for promise because whatever he has promised to you is what he is trying to do through you. Abraham and Sarah wanted a baby. God wanted a nation. So he promised a baby so that he could get a nation. His promise to you is about what he's trying to do through you. That, that we are people, we are people of promise. Galatians 3.29 says, if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to the promise. There it is. There's the seed of potential and the promise that you're aimed at and the purpose you are here for. All in that one verse. What I like about promise-based living, see if you can get your mind around this. When I don't have promise, I have uncertainty. When I have uncertainty, notice it's an un-prefix. Un, un-meaning lack of certainty. When I don't have promise, I live from lack. When I have promise, I live from abundance because the promise is what has been guaranteed to me today that I will walk into tomorrow. So it is from the promise of abundance. It is from abundance towards abundance. Uncertainty, that's why we haven't received the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. That, that this slave mentality is, is that of fear, but a son mentality is that of abundance because sons know their own purpose. Sons know they have potential. Sons know they have a promise. And when I have a promise, I have something, it's, it's abundant. I have something tangible. I have something to live from and something to live toward. W without understanding that I have promise, then I'm uncertain, meaning I'm in the lack of certainty. Whereas when I have promise, I'm in the abundance of certainty. I know that 
every promise of God is yes and amen, right? I know that God is going to bring me into it, that God is going to lead me toward it, that God is not going to promise, but he's going to stand over his promise and perform it. See, God has made me the steward of my potential, but he is the steward of my promise. He watches over my promise. I have to watch over my potential. Are you with me? And so when I have promise, I have something tangible. See, today we have a building. It's tangible. No, we can't sit in it yet, but God's promised it to us. Are you with me? We have something tangible driving us and compelling us and moving us forward because we are a people of prom. We are not uncertain. We are here to take over the world. We're here to change the neighborhood. We're here to love and to serve, right? We know why we're here. Oh, I wish you were screaming as loud as I am. Do you believe that? Are you people of promise? It's abundant thinking to be a person of promise. God gave us a promise as a church. Exodus 25, this was the passage. It was kind of, you want to hear something kind of cool? So Julie and I had been talking, and I'd always wanted to plant the church, and she knew that. We were married. We had kids. Um, they were just little then. But um, we, knew, we knew that God had called us to start a church. We just felt it, and we had an opportunity to talk with Robert Morris, who wanted to wish us happy birthday, and, and he encouraged us. He said, before you start a church, you, you need a word from God that has chapter and verse to it. And I thought, God, okay. And so I, one morning I get up, and, um, and, and I, I, I don't know if Julie and the kids were up yet or, or not. I don't remember, but I said, I'm going on a prayer walk. I like to walk and pray because when you're ADD, you got to move to pray. Because if I sit still, it's hard for God to get my attention because my mind wanders. Like, Lord, I'm so glad. Squirrel. You know, it's one of those things. And God's like, hey, 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 hey. That's how he has to get my attention. And so I went for a walk that morning. I was just praying, and I felt like the Lord gave me this passage from Exodus 25. And I came back, and, and I told Julie, I said, I said, hey, I really feel like the Lord's confirmed that this is what we're supposed to do. And, um, and, and we need to really pray about it. And I turned on my phone. Now, this is it's going to be freaky. I turned on my phone. I think that was like an iPhone Gen 1, if y'all remember those things. But, um, but I turned it on, and it was September the 22nd, 2008. Now, let me add another layer of crazy. Three years before, when when... Julie and I at the time were in missions ministry, doing a lot of stuff in other countries. Um, we, we were at the church we were attending. Uh, we were there one Sunday morning, and Mariah was really little, and she didn't go to children's ministry. She was just a little thing, and she didn't want to let go of mama. And, and so we would sit in the, in the back by the, there's a side door, so we'd kind of take our place right back there. So she never really made any noise, but um, if she ever got fussy, we could take her out. And, and, um, and so um, this guy's preaching who's never, we, we didn't know, it was the first time he had ever been there. And he was a, a prophetic guy. He's really, really jolly, really happy prophetic guy. And he, uh, at the end of the service, he, he said, hey, this couple right here with the little Asian baby, could, could I pray for y'all? 
And so, sure. So we, we walk up there. And, and he was really cool the way he would start sharing what God was speaking to him because it was like it was poetry almost. It's pretty cool. And so, and so he kind of started in. He, he said, spring springs forth. I'm like, that is, that's cool. And then he said, like a stall-fed calf, you're going to spring forth in the spring, and, which is a, a scripture. And, and, then, and then he said, but first, and remember he paused, he backed up, but first, and he said, fall falls in the fall. And he said, that's Isaiah 22, 22. That's Revelation 4, 7. It's the key of David, son, that I've given you. It's great authority. Whatever you open, no man can shut. And whatever you shut, no man can open. Three years later, I go praying, not really paying attention to the date. I wake up, God, I feel like God confirms this church. The date, September the 22nd. And immediately, because I'll be honest, I never knew what the word meant the guy gave us. It was a good word. And it made a lot of sense. And I felt like it was from the Lord. I just didn't understand the application of it all. And, and so for three years, it's just kind of back there in my mind. And then when I turned the phone on that day, it's September the 22nd. I said, oh, my Lord, I now get it. Then I didn't even think about this till like this week, I don't think. But I'm like, oh, Sunday's our birthday, September. And the whole time I'm feeling like, God, this is our next season. We're stepping into our destiny. This is a benchmark, a landmark of what you're trying to. And I'm like, oh, September. And then I thought, fall falls in the fall. We have this promise. This was the verse, Exodus 25, verse one. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering, verse eight, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And that was, I felt like the promise that God gave us, that it was this promise of bringing together his presence and God's people. That, 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 was, that was our calling, that was our purpose, that was, that was our promise, that, that if we would set out on this journey, we would build a place where God's presence and God's people could, could meet, could dwell together. That, that's what I felt like Pathway was called to, that, that we were called to connect people to purpose, but first we had to connect them to presence. We were called to take over the world, but first we had to connect them to presence, that, that God's presence is the open door, that, that his presence is what we need and nothing else, just like we sang today, that, 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 that this is the call, and I still feel like this is the calling for our church, to connect together God's people and, and God's purpose, that our, our God's presence, that, that God has promised us, as I was with Moses, I will be with you, that my presence will go with you. I feel that all the time, God's presence is going with us. God's presence is here. God's presence is guiding us. God's presence is leading us. And if we don't have God's presence, we don't have anything anyway. It's got to be all about God's presence, but it's also all about God's people. It's his presence and it's his people. I remember in Bible school, I felt like the Lord gave me a promise from Psalm 2.8 that said, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. It's, it's people. Can I tell you something? The lost people around us are our inheritance. Oh, I'm going to try. I'm sorry. I'm, we're going to get it. I promise. The lost people around us are our inheritance. 
that we're here to reach them. We're here to bring them into God's presence. I was praying with, with the worship team before we went out and I said, guys, listen, we got to give them heaven today because if we do all of this and it lacks for the presence of God, it would have all been for nothing. It's all about his presence and bringing people to his presence. And when we prayed about the next 10 years and I began to ask God, it was kind of interesting. They were putting different stuff together. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, are you going to ask me what you're supposed to do the next 10 years? Now, this is how dumb I am. I said, I thought I knew. Like, we have a vision. We have a purpose. We have a mission. I, I'm like, but then I got excited. I'm like, okay, well, Lord, I'll be, I, yeah, you know I'll ask you. And I went and, and I began to ask him. And I said, God, what do you want us to do? And he began to refresh. None of this was really new. But sometimes in the nuances of the day-to-day -day and in the struggle of getting from where we started to where we are now, sometimes, sometimes you start to lose vision. Vision gets a little cloudy, if you will. And one thing you need to understand about vision is that vision, real vision, doesn't come from you. It comes through you. That you become a steward of a part of God's vision. That vision is not supposed to be it's not supposed to come from you. It's supposed to come through you. And I just felt the destiny of this moment of God saying, you know what? You know what, son? Let's revisit what's supposed to come through this church. Let's revisit what's supposed to come. Because you've been faithful. It's been a long season. Some of it's been difficult. There's been challenges. There's, there's been a lot to it. But let's revisit again. Let's revisit again what we're going to do what's going to come through you. Let me breathe on the embers of your soul just a little bit and reignite some things that are already there, but sometimes through the struggle and through the difficulty, the fire starts to go out and you start wanting to settle for good enough instead of great. And when I started praying, I felt like the Lord brought back this number. When I started, and you talk about stupid you know, faith looks stupid till it happens. Noah looked dumb till it started raining, y'all. What you doing, Noah? Building a boat? Uh-huh, a boat. Why? It's going to rain. Never seen rain. Couldn't sell a ticket till, till the rain started. <laughs> and I remember sitting there with 23 people and saying, God's called us to reach 10,000 people in this city. That was kind of how they responded, just like that. <laughs> About the same. Nothing's changed. It's never been done before. It doesn't make sense. And somebody said, Pastor, are you just wanting a big church? Let me explain something to you. About 300 people ago, this, my job was a lot easier. Really, about 400 people ago. About 400 people ago, my job was a lot easier. Right? It's a lot harder today, but you know what? I'm okay with it because every number has a name. Every name has a story. Every story matters to God. I want to reach. I, I, will, I will never apologize for wanting to reach more people. I, I have to say this because we're all together and I love it. 
But when, when, when people, and people have left our church, they said, Pastor, it's just gotten too big. And can I tell you that grieves me because part of me is like, well, which one do we want to send back to hell? You know what I'm saying? Like, I understand too, because it'd be great if we, in fact, I was thinking we just do this. Y'all want to do this every weekend? Let's just do this every weekend. <laughs> the TA worship team and all the serve people, they just said, no, we're not doing it every weekend. But, but, but to me, but, but to me, God refreshed this number of the next 10 years. And he said, I want you to reach 10,000 people. And here, here's what he said. They're going to put this up there. But he said, I want you to reach 10,000 people, right? He wants us to do it. I feel like that's what we're supposed to do. And then he said, I want you to train a thousand pastors. Now, I told him when he told me, I want you to train a thousand pastors. I said, now, I always knew I wanted, I love pastors and I always knew I wanted to train and help pastors. But I told him the same thing I told him when he told me to start the church. I said, I don't know how to train a thousand pastors. He said, that's okay. You didn't know how to train. You didn't know how to, you didn't know how to start a church. But, but he said, but I put the blueprint in here. It's in a seed. And there's so many times he'll tell me, don't look at what they're doing, even though that looks cool, because that's not the blueprint I put in. You got to trust what's in here, not look at what someone else is doing. And he says, so I want you, I got, I got to get us out of here, but I want you to, I want you to train a thousand pastors. He said, I want you to start five pathway campuses and I want you to plant 10 life-giving churches over the next 10 years. And Pathway, this is what I'm saying. Yeah, this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna tell you like I told the 23 people, we're gonna start an amazing church that's gonna reach all over the world, that's gonna have international influence, that's gonna touch people from all over, gonna change lives. That's what we're gonna do. And I'm telling you, this is what we're gonna do. How? Don't know. Do we have the money? I don't think so. But here's what I know. We got what it takes. That's what I know. God's put something in us. Now, here's, here's what, here is the last thing. Here's what I felt like the Lord asked me and wants us to do. He asked me, I'm going to ask you. I feel like the Lord wants us to double the size of our church in the next 12 months. Not double when we get to the building, but double before we get to the building. Now, why would God ask us to do that? Well, you're here today for some reason, especially if you're a pathway person. There's been something that God did in and through this church that impacted your life. You're here because you gained hope. You're here because you gained purpose. You're here because you found freedom. You're here because you were saved or you were delivered or you were healed. And what I'm saying is whatever you were searching for when you found this place, wouldn't it stand to reason there are people today in our city searching for something just like that? 
And that the same grace you've experienced, the same acceptance that you've known, the same healing that, that, that has touched your life. There are people out there who are hungry and who are hurting and who are broken and who are hopeless and they are looking for someone to believe in them. They are looking for a family that they can belong to. They are looking for a, a, a God who can restore, redeem, and heal. They're looking for a body that they can be joined to. Don't you believe that? Why would we ever want it to stop with us? Why would we, we that wouldn't make sense. And so I, I got with our really smart people and I said, hey, we need a marketing campaign. Now, let me help you with something. The marketing is not gonna get them here. We just need a, we need a banner to march under. Are you with me? And so, and so I asked them, I said, will y'all put something together that we can start marketing from for the next 12 months because I want to try to reach people wherever they're at, however I can reach them. We've got to reach them. I feel like God's asked us to double and they put together this video. I wanted to show it to you. bringing me into y'all's arms and y'all been so good to me and you know through everything let me do this and it's just the biggest thing in my life like so many hardships and stuff but it's all worth it to come to this point i mean i love y'all so so much man i'm sure i'm still speechless i cannot believe that thank y'all so much how we're going to do it. Yeah, you can stand to your feet. Give Jesus some praise. Here's how we're going to do it. This is what I felt like God put in my heart is if each one could win one in the next 12 months. Each one, each family, each person, 
win one. Not just invite one, win one. Do you hear what I'm saying? Each one, win one. Each one, win one. Each one, win one. That we got to go get our one. Now, some of you are going to get five, but that's okay. Overachievers, praise God for you. But this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to release that seed of our potential that is aimed at the promise of God and step into our purpose. Each one, reach one. Come on, can we do that? Can we double this thing in 12 months? Each one, win one. For for God, for his kingdom, for his glory. Come on, we can do it, Pathway. You've got what it takes. Touch somebody and tell them, you've got what it takes. Come on. God, we just thank you so much for your grace, God, for your love, for your mercy. God, help us to be all you called us to be. God, let that potential out, God. Let us step out and be everything you purposed. Do everything you called and see our city change, see our world change, see our nation change.